the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always with Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at 68683. If you text us anything funny, if you text us something that we find witty, we're going to read it today. We're just going to give it to you on the air today. The best chance you have of getting it read is a compliment to Brian. I'm telling <laughs> no, you right now. It's actually an insult to you. <laughs> oh, really? Somehow my detriment is your what, praise? Actually, okay. what I should say is probably equal. It's probably equal. Ah, it's, good, it's good to know where I stand in yep. that. Thanks, man. I really, in the three months we've done this, I've painted myself as such a, uh, just a needy person that I'm starting to think I'm actually a needy person. <laughs> I was say no comment. Is there a uh, phone number people can call us at, Brian? 312-660-2594. You can call us at 312-660-2594. Also, 1160hope.com or anywhere you find our podcast, you can listen uh, to past shows. So we're excited to be with you on this Thursday. I was so excited by the good weather yesterday, and now... What happened? I mean, it, welcome to the Midwest, man. Maybe. But I, I feel like it's the same rigmarole every year. People are like, wow, this winter felt long. I'm like, I feel like we say that every winter. So I don't, I maybe. don't, maybe I'm just getting old and curmudgeonly. Like, oh, oh, it's supposed to be 70 degrees this weekend. I'll so, believe it when I there. see it. Hey, I found something. Uh, if you'll indulge me, I want to, I want to give you something I was reading at People Magazine. Okay. Uh, by the way, you don't know this about me. One of the things my wife thinks is the funniest about me is that I love People Magazine. <laughs> Like, I love taking the kids to the doctor or That's whatever. That's the funniest the, thing about you. The magazines. Are, I love People Magazine. But here it is. Uh, Heinz unveils ketchup and ranch hybrid called Cranch. Oh, gosh. And this says our fries are ready for it. Cranch is the newest condiment combination to hit stores. If you're the kind of person that likes to dip better than uh, better than the food itself, the past year has been pretty good for you and it keeps going on. They, they did a mix of mayonnaise and ketchup earlier. Uh, mustard and mayo, uh, mustard uh, or mayo and barbecue called Mayo Q. And now the next one is Cranch, ketchup and ranch. Here's my question for you, my friend. Are you, one, excited about Cranch or will this not be something you'll be enjoying? This is what happens when we let you choose the stories we do. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, yes. The, the hard-hitting news of Cranch. First off, I would have preferred they called it Retchup. I think that would have been, <laughs> I feel strongly about this position, Brian. Retchup. Rise up, my wretched friends. Um, I, I couldn't care less. <laughs> my, ki- my kids already do this. They, they've they already created the ketchup. That's what bread. I'm saying. I, this, I don't want to get all existential on you right away. 
they're just going to upcharge for all of this, <laughs> and it's the easiest thing in the world. Like, it's remember when we were kids, and they, what was it called, Goober, where there's the peanut butter and jelly together in the same thing? Yep. Like, how lazy as a people have we become? We're like, oh, I'd love a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but then uh, I got to open two <laughs> jars. Yeah, I, I, I can't be either. Peanut I can't be opening and closing jars all day long. I got I got stuff to do. I don't. To me, I'm sh- <laughs> again, I'm showing my, my curmudgeonliness. I just I couldn't care less. So if you want hard hitting, now I got I got a story for you. Oh, great, good segue. So. It is funny how our lives have changed. Like now you read stuff and you're like, I could talk about that on the radio. Oh, that'll be and good. Cranch was that for you? <laughs> yes, it actually was. It actually was. This is a story from Fox News. So let me tell you this story. The title says this. Tourists claim they were abandoned on snake infested island in Thailand. In Thailand <laughs> snorkeling scam. Oh, my God. You want to hear this? I sure do. Like that right there. You're clicking on I'm that. hooked. You yep. are, I'm hooked. Good one. Surrounded by snakes on an island, a group of British teens are reliving the traumatic experience of being stranded on a small island ridden with snakes and jellyfish during a recent spring break vacation to Thailand. One of the adventurers has taken to Twitter to share the story. So here's what happened. They got scammed by local men under the guise of a $26 snorkeling trip. So they were told, for $26, we're going to take you out and let you snorkel. We're going to be drinks, all the stuff. And they're like, of course, we're going to do that. That's already suspect, though, right? $26? They were enjoying a vacation with 17 pals when, when they were uh, approached by three men who offered to take them on the tour. They quickly agreed. They handed over $26 a person and hopped into the men's speedboat. Again, then they realized that they were in trouble because there were no life rafts. And for the drink, they just passed around one bottle of Diet Coke. <laughs> so they got about 32 feet away from the shoreline of the island, and the men stopped the boat and told them they had to get out and swim the rest of the way. Oh boy. This was a snorkeling trip. There was no snorkeling gear. They said, oh, they gave them one mask and a snorkel and said, you need to go that way. <clears throat> this area is filled with jellyfish. And so they start, they're like, are you serious? They're like, yeah, it's not bad. It's really shallow. They jump in, not shallow at all. The men wave to them and drive the boat away to this island. They go and they get stung by jellyfish. They go, they finally, they swim to the area, effectively abandoned for three hours without food or water. They were eventually rescued thanks to a multi-party effort. We were there for hours. They said, in the end, we saw fishermen and he helped us contact the boat, the people who worked on the beach. It took a lot of effort and persuasion, but the three men came and got us. Uh, so here's what happens. Here's where the story gets funny. You ready? It isn't funny yet. <laughs> so they call the authorities, and the authorities send a boat. The three men that scammed them were the three men that had to come pick them up. <laughs> no kidding. Yes. So they failed to receive a refund for the awful or- ordeal. They have appeared. They at least got dropped off at their boat. In the recent days, it took to Twitter to share the story where it has since gone viral with more than 8,600 likes and a hundred thousand- comments. Can't stop thinking about last year when we paid three random guys on a beach in Thailand to take us snorkeling and left us with that. Oh, my word. Okay, so the moral of the story is I get to pick the opening stories from here on out. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just... Sometimes I feel really naive, and I know this isn't hard-hitting news, as you said. We're about to jump into politics on the next segment, but uh, sometimes I feel naive, but I can't imagine. I don't know. I actually think I would be the one who would have gotten into that boat with the people. Really? I do. Like, on our honeymoon, my wife and I, we were in Antigua. We had a sit-down. They they called everybody down at the resort, okay? We were in Antigua at one of these all-inclusive resorts, and they said, the number one thing we're going to tell you is don't buy anything any tours or anything from anybody on the beach. 
at all. Okay. No, they said only do it through the resort. Wow. So we have the snorkeling, this and that. They said this was the number one thing you need to know. You're going to get scammed. Do not do it. That meeting ended. My wife and I walked down to the beach and immediately purchased a snorkeling trip from a guy on the beach. (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) Was it a scam? Uh, no, it was actually okay. Oh, see, there you go. It was actually okay, but we we ended up looking at each other. We've been married for a week, and all right. of a sudden we're like, I think we're in trouble as adults now. So like, it's, not, I think, it's not that you're naive, you just don't follow instructions well. No, I think, I like, it was like we got flustered. The guy was like, oh, hey, do you want to buy this? We're like, yeah, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Maybe that's the benefit of being from a family of nine people, is you get really comfortable saying no. Just no, I'm not, nope. No, thank you. Not interested. It was weird because we got like really nervous and we're like, yes, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yes. What time do we leave? (laughs) (laughs) Take all our money. Here's our room key. Oh, it was really funny. It was really funny. I don't know why I wanted to tell that story either. The tourist story. I don't know why, but I found it to be a crazy story. The psychologist in me wants to like drill down and find the deeper reason. Do you feel? Maybe dive deeply. Do you feel? Right. Well, not with a snorkel. You can only go (laughs) two and a half inches deep. But I'm curious, Brian, do you feel that you were abandoned perhaps? (laughs) A metaphorical jellyfish. <laughs> I, I was abandoned just with a bottle of cranch. <laughs> oh, up. my gosh. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we're going to jump into it in the next segment. How's that sound? That sounds coming good up to me. Next, coming up next, we are actually going to dive in and talk about this story about Joe Biden. The Joe Biden story that is going around right now where uh, many people see Joe Biden as the greatest threat to be out of the Democratic Party to be able to defeat President Trump in the next election. Uh, but he's already, his campaign is already off to a bit of a bumpy start. And so we're going to talk about that coming up next. You can, again, you can call us at area code 312-660-2594, 312-660-2594. You can also text us at 68683. That's 68683. Put CG before the message and then write the message. Uh, and uh, if you text us, uh, we will likely read it on the air today. So anyway, off to a good start here on The Common Good. On AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, You can call us today at 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. Facebook is The Common Good Radio Show. You can also text us 68683. That's 68683. In the message, just start it with CG and then type the message, uh, and we will get that. You can also find past shows at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you find podcasts. Hey, man, uh, we're about to go into um, presidential election season, which feels like it should be a long way away, right? Like in 2020, <laughs> but it is going to come fast. It's and right furious. around the corner. Yep. And Joe Biden, the former vice president, Barack Obama's vice president, is uh, what many people consider, if you look at polls, to be the most likely front runner. He's about to get in the race. Everyone's expecting it. He is most likely the front runner uh, to the Democratic national uh, to the Democratic um, nomination. So you can very much see down the road here a Donald Trump versus Joe Biden um, a race. Now, there, a lot can change over the coming months and year. Um, Who thought Donald Trump, you know, a year, year and a half before the last election was going to be the, the Republican candidate. Um, but with that said, I don't know if you've seen this, but Joe Biden, there's been a lot of stories and old videos coming out 
that people are starting to accuse Joe Biden of um, nothing that he's explicitly done wrong, just that he's, if you will, too huggy and a little awkward. And that some women are coming out and describing what they're calling unwanted touching. Um, But there's also lots of videos where he's holding women's hands or he's placing his forehead like on their head or like rubbing their shoulders. A lot of just kind of almost like borderline creepy stuff, if you will. Sure. Uh, You might have seen if you're on Twitter, you might have seen. Uh, Our president today tweeted a meme about it or a video about uh, Joe Biden, which uh, was simultaneously funny and sad. (laughs) Um, And I got to be honest, as I've been reading these and going over them, I don't know what to think about it. So you're not supposed to do that as a radio host. Just put out (laughs) a topic and go like, I don't know what to think. But I want to I think that my gut says I want to say, hey, you know what? Like a lot of this is from the past when this kind of stuff wasn't that big a deal. But yet I don't want to minimize when these women are like, hey, it made me uncomfortable. Uh, So I'm going to go back and forth here because no one is suggesting that Joe Biden did anything nefarious uh, or, you know, it's not they're not saying, oh, he had an affair with this person or an affair. It's just kind of kind of creepy. And so uh, help me with this because I don't (laughs) help me help me process this because I'm not sure what to think about this. Uh, Yeah, I think I mean, just to say, well, it wasn't an affair. Is probably not a great place to start. Yes, I think it's easy to say, "Oh, it doesn't seem that bad," and you know we're again uh, talking from the perspective uh, as two white straight men, um, so often in the majority context. And I think uh, for me, I want to always confront internally any time that I'm tempted to say, "Oh man, is that is it is that that big a deal?" Because I think throughout history, that has often been the loudest rhetoric of the majority context. Is that that big a deal? Can we all just calm down? You know, it's not to say, and we've talked about this in previous shows, that sometimes, you know, like Stetzer wrote a great book about Christians in the age of outrage, right? Yep, like yep. It, we, it does seem like it's easy to be outraged about everything right now. And even what you were kind of alluding to, like, hey, he's from a time where that wasn't creepy. Like, well, he doesn't live in that time anymore. So to yep. me, that's not an excuse either. In fact, you know, I, I actually was just listening to a podcast uh, a couple of days ago about uh, victims of sexual abuse mm-hmm. uh, and sexual assault. And some of the stories were so um, hauntingly familiar sounding to things I've had friends tell me where it wasn't like you were saying, it wasn't some outright affair. It wasn't somebody in a dark alley. It yeah. was... A grandpa or an uncle, though, who everyone just sort of thought was old and sweet and didn't really, you know, don't think anything of it. And in hearing firsthand from some of these women, the accounts of being told over and over again, it's not that big a deal yeah. or calm down or he didn't mean that or he's from a different era. All of those, I think, are subtle ways that we silence the voices of, of people who have experienced like real trauma for whatever reason. And and that is tough. It is. I, I would I would much rather have a third party in this booth right now sharing <laughs> sharing some some wisdom and insight because I, I really do struggle as two white straight men um I, I i think it's i don't think we're even the right people to to weigh in specifically on it to be honest so what would you think about him saying this he then went to twitter he apologized biden did biden no, biden not went, trump no okay no. just want to be clear biden went to twitter and he said this social nor- he, this is part of what he said he said in a video social norms have begun to change They've shifted, and the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. Uh, and he said in a clip, which ran just over two minutes, he said, I get it, and I'll basically, I'll do better. Okay. Is that enough? Is that a good apology? Or basically, I think what people are wrestling with is like, 
does this torpedo a presidential run coming up or does knock it out or is that does that do the job right there yeah um i'm trying to think of any time i've been personally in an argument and uh someone said i get it that that usually didn't mean it's been resolved or the other person <laughs> agrees and again i didn't see the video that you're referencing yep. um i do i guess appreciate the general sense of yeah stuff's being reset um what i feel i hear a lack of both both right and left, young and old, is just outright apology. It's yeah. always that I didn't know or I was naive or a different era, different time. What happened to just that was touched that person apparently didn't want? I'm so sorry. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Not all of these other peripheral excuses. It just drives me crazy. Yeah. And I uh, all of those excuses, all of those, they may be very true, but like, we we teach this in like counseling one on one type stuff like this. Uh, oh, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Like well, that's not really an apology then, yeah. because you're putting the onus back on them. And again, does that mean that we're you know exempt or immune from overreacting? Um, no, not not at all. Right. I just I think saying the stuff's being reset is uh, is kind of a lazy way of saying ah, I think I think maybe I was wrong, or maybe he doesn't think that he's wrong. Yeah. And I, you know I can't help my suspicion of like okay, so there's a whole team of people coaching him on what exactly to say and how to say it. Because if right. you say too much here, that'll torpedo your campaign. You say too much here, and that'll, I mean, that's, you know, you won't be able to recover from that. So the whole thing, I don't know, man, I, it comes down to communicating. Uh, don't assume anything like that kind of stuff to me. There's, I, it, even just in terms of, you know, we've been at, in church work for a while, and, uh, you know, in the lobby, like I'm a hugger. Yep. And I've certainly like misread, like, oh, you don't, okay, don't, you're not a hugger, you're a fist bumper. Okay. Like, just ask questions. Just yep. be more communicative, and I think uh, I think we'll all head in a better direction. I'm like you. I'm I'm a hugger, and don't ever really think much of it until like a year ago or two years ago. A, a young lady just said, "Hey," uh, I was really proud of her for kind of just being this bold. She's like, "Like I know you don't mean anything, but she's like, I'd appreciate like we just shake hands. Like I feel weird with my husband there." And you, I was like, "Whoa, okay." And like, good for her though. It right. really was, and I I said, "Oh, I'm sorry," you know, about that. And she was like, "No, totally, I get it." Like. It's just kind of my thing. And I said, okay, great. And now every time I see her, I just kind of stick my hand out yep, and, yep. and shake it. And uh, it is good. I, I, It would be remiss to say that that on this Joe Biden story, like I just think we're about to get into the age of uh, the, the season of just crazy political stuff. Yeah. It's just going to get crazy season. And um, we're going to we're going to. Uh, lob grenades over like oh joe biden you know hugged people too much but then you you might be a fan of donald trump and we remember what all the things he said and been accused of or vice versa it's just let's just be honest about it and and go so um yeah i some reason i don't feel like this is gonna be our last political story we're gonna talk about <laughs> which Probably is funny because i'm just not feeling sure either of you are you or i are very wired politically <laughs> yeah maybe we better learn yeah <laughs> maybe we better learn hey if you've got ideas about this story we would love to hear them you could text us at 68683 that's 68683 put in cg followed by your comment you can always call us at area code 312-660-2594 or on facebook at the common good radio show we're glad you're joining us today on this rainy thursday afternoon for ian simpkins i'm brian Fromm. you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life this is the common good with brian Fromm and ian simpkins on am 1160 hope for your life Coming up next on The Common Good, we're going to look at a Christianity Today article that says this. Here are three whispers of disruption that will lead to a new normal 
of kingdom breakthrough. We're going to work through those three whispers of disruption next on The Common Good. But first, before you have the chance to say, I'm bored this summer, enter to win a getaway to Colorado Springs from Focus on the Family. Enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. The grand prize winner will enjoy a three-night trip to Colorado and enjoy a special behind-the-scenes experience with the team at Adventures in Odyssey. You'll get a bonus free gift just for entering, so hurry over now to 1160hope.com slash contest. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this wet and rainy Thursday. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can call us at 312-660-2594. And as always, you can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by your comment. Ian, you and I are both pastors. We talk about that often. I am the... Uh, a pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. You are a pastor at Community Christian Church uh, in Naperville. Um, we like to say that's our day job. We're just kind of moonlighting as radio hosts. Nope. You say that, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> you say that. There's all this we language. We, we're a team now. We love to say that we're pastors. No, you love to say We're a team. That. We're a team. I'm not saying we're not a team. I just feel like... These catchphrases are yours. They're <laughs> okay. Or moonlighting is right. No, uh, which is your? What is your catchphrase? Mine, mine's like land the plane, land the plane, maiden voyage was yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna have to come up with these. Right? I think we should put them all over the wall. <laughs> That's gonna be fun. Anyway, uh, but we do both long. I'm gonna speak for you here to see a a uh, kind of a revival, a spiritual awakening within our culture. Right? We we want to see people come to know Jesus. And so there was this article in Christianity Today uh, that Ed Stetzer put out there, written by R. York Moore uh, in April here. It's called Whispers of Disruption, A New Move of God in Our Time. And when I read that, I was like, okay, uh, this is interesting, because all that you ever read is that our culture is moving away from God, that people are less interested in things of God. You know, you see the rise of the nuns. People are always talking, that's N-O-N-E-S, you know, a rise in secularism, all this stuff. It feels like... Uh, Christianity is becoming more and more marginalized, whatever else. That seems to be what the data and what the people are saying. But this author is saying, no, I believe there's a couple things going on within our culture, both our church culture and our culture of a large, that's, uh, that is uh, setting us up for a new move of the gospel. And so I found these very interesting, and I found one of them particularly interesting. But the first one is this, that, the, that this author is saying that right now there is unprecedented unity. He says, I've been doing partnerships in my ministry for over 20 years, but I've never experienced the ease and the appetite to come together and do something bigger than I'm seeing now. Churches, denominations, parachurch, and nonprofit networks are coming together in ways we've not seen in America. And he's saying that because there's this unity and this desire, uh, that it's going to be effective in getting the gospel out there to more and more people. Are you seeing this? this do you feel like this is going on in our culture? Uh, yeah, I absolutely am. I had a, a friend and a mentor in town. His name's John Armstrong, and uh, he, in a lot of ways, at least in Chicagoland, is sort of the, the granddaddy of the, the we call it the neo-ecumenism. Oh. And uh, what he does so well is builds these relational bridges when there's doctrinal divide and uh, invited wow. me to serve on their board because I think they needed like a 
token millennial, I guess. That's the only reason I can think of being invited, because they were all so smart and so accomplished, and I sort of sat in the corner and tried to not look like an idiot. But uh, every year, we'd have different events, um, particularly around this idea of unity, and uh, one such event was at uh, hosted at Mundelein Seminary, and it's like pastors and theologians and thinkers from all over the world literally coming together for three days to pray and dream and lament and confess wow. for the purposes of ecumenism, of, of unity, of building greater John 17 unity, um, even when there isn't total doctrinal theological agreement. So one of the statements from one of those first gatherings was when we don't have doctrinal ecumenism, we can still have relational ecumenism. You know, we, we might disagree on the Eucharist with our Catholic brothers and sisters, yeah. but that doesn't mean that we still can't worship the same Jesus and work together uh, to help people find their way back to God. Like, I just think there's there's such a, I, at, at least in my small corner of the earth, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that, and it's really, really exciting. And even something as simple as back, both our churches back at the New Year did Explore God Chicago to see. With a thousand other churches. Churches right. from across Chicago say, no, we're going to kind of do this together. Uh, there was What I liked about it, there was an element of you, you did it as your own church, but you knew that all these other churches were doing yeah, it. Yeah, totally. So I do believe there is this greater unity that says, uh, both in parachurch organizations, there's there's less tribalism that says no, this is my thing. Like I'm gonna, it's my kingdom. Uh, and so this author is saying that that is one uh, way that we that we're going to come about seeing the gospel flourish. Second one, uh, he says, are something he calls meta networks. That we've entered the age of what I call meta networks, the leveraging of networks of networks. Uh, and so basically saying. Uh, you and I are both familiar with exponential. So saying that networks of people and parachurch organizations and stuff coming together to put on stuff like Urbana or exponential or whatever else will, will be. This has that unity feel to it. Yeah, it's and that's the that's the point. So, you know, we uh, community started what's called the New Thing Network, which right. has now grown to like 2,400 churches globally. And the beauty of that is that these networks come together to resource, share and encourage and pray. Mm. But also, maybe not surprisingly, like. A church in Nairobi looks a good deal different than a church in Naperville, and we learn from each other because our contexts are so different, and we have training together, and we pray for each other, and I think I think uh, Dave and John Ferguson would agree that the, the point of these networks isn't just for the sake of networks, but to, to see a movement, though, to see yes. these networks move um, in a way that isn't just our little corner of the earth, but a, a global movement mm. of churches that reproduce other churches, yeah. and uh, I, I really feels like we're on the cusp of seeing a whole lot more of that, which is pretty exciting. That's awesome. And the third one, this is the one I really wanted to dig into. Uh, this author uh, says that he believes that there is a, quote, uber openness, uber openness to the gospel. So like the driving service, <laughs> like Uber drivers in the gospel? Yeah, sure. While the normalization, he says, of Christian values is in decline, the openness to hear and consider the good news of Jesus is on the rise. For example, InterVarsity USA has seen a year-over-year increase of conversions for the past 10 years, seeing its highest numbers of new believers in its 80-year history. I find this one fascinating because... There's a lot of doomsday writing going on in the Christian circles that says kind of like people don't aren't even interested in the in the things of Christianity. And, and what this guy is saying is maybe they're not interested in all the rules and all the trappings, but that people are really open to the gospel, that there's a there's a craving for something more, that there's a lot of pain out there and that the message of the gospel is uniquely situated to speak into that in our culture right now. Uh, I feel like uh, I agree with this. Curious if you do, too. You know, I think one of the dangers is when we confuse gospel with my local church. Mm. So I think the reason we we hear a lot of frustration 
the people aren't interested in the gospel, you're like, ah, they may be less interested. <laughs> That's a good point. And <laughs> like the organized uh, example and execution of what you're doing, um, which is a whole other conversation because I think that, you know, I think in a lot of ways with the emergent movement of sort of the early 2000s, there was this big, massive sweep to like the, the church is in a building, which I yep. agree with. Yep. But the I think we lost the baby, the bathwater, and the notion of bathing all together when we were like, it doesn't matter if we gather. It's just about having spiritual conversations. Yep. I don't think that's the case either. Uh, but I do think when people encounter the real risen Jesus, there is so, there is just something undeniable. And people in their own way will probably have to wrestle through like, ah, but I don't love the way you do the music. or yep. I don't love the way your website looks. That's been going on since the beginning of time. Yep. But I, I think... There is something intrinsically inherent in all of us that when we when we encounter the true gospel, the true grace of Jesus Christ, there there is not a person on planet Earth that is somewhere deep in their heart isn't saying, oh, that's what the world needs more of. That's yes. what I need more of. And I think that's what we're finding. That's what we're seeing. If you're out there right now and you're just in a dark spot, you're like, I wish there was hope. I, we are here to tell you uh, that the hope of Jesus Christ is real uh, and is uh, accessible for you. And that's. Uh, that's at our, our heartbeat here at this show that we want you to hear that good news. Like you said, stripped away from, uh, you know, what is this church like and what is this church like? What's this? Though we we want you to know that that there is hope in Jesus Christ. I think this is true, man. I think a lot of people are searching for more meaning and they're searching for what matters in this world. And then we as Christians need to say, you know, what we have the answer to that question, and we need to be able to boldly um, be able to share that with people, both in word and in deed. Well, if you want to call us, you can do so at 312-660-2594. You can text us at 68683. Any questions, any comments, uh, you can also find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. We're going to change gears a little bit next. Coming up, we're going to talk about this article that asks this question, why do rich people love endurance sports? I wouldn't know. (laughs) We're about to find out why we're not rich right here. (laughs) That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited to have you join us today. You can get in contact with us by phone at 312-660-2594. You can do it on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, or you can text us at 68683. Put CG in the message uh, and then write whatever message you have for us. I think one time we asked people to guess your favorite color. Maybe we need some something like that. Again, we didn't. You did. That's trying <laughs> to feel self-conscious. <laughs> so we teased this at the beginning and said, or before going to our last break, why do rich people love endurance sports? This is on OutsideOnline.com. I'd never really thought of this, uh, but even as I think of some own, some people in my own lives who like enjoy kind of these triathlons and all this, you, you know, they tend to have office jobs and stuff. It's very interesting. Um, now, one of the caveats here is one reason rich people love endurance sports is because some of these endurance sports cost a lot of money, so they're kind of the only ones who can endure in, enjoy these sports. That is the first point the, of the article that is made, but it runs much deeper than that, and it's in fact, it says sociologists are trying to figure this out. Why does there increasingly seem to be this pull of people who are in white-collar jobs, so not even uber-wealthy, but in white-collar jobs, you know, upper middle class to rich to even middle class, but they're in white collar jobs that they are the ones predominantly doing things like, you know, triathlons, tough mutters, uh, you know, mountain biking, these endurance sports, whatever else it might be, marathon racing. 
Uh, and you know what they kind of get at, and there's some more statistics and stuff that are probably interesting, but they kind of, the underlying thing is, uh, is that their lives have gotten so comfortable that they're kind of choosing to put some pain back into it, which I find fascinating. Yeah, I think it makes sense too. One of the things before I go on, uh, it did say that there was a, a study done in 2015 uh, that found that the median income for triathletes is $126,000 mm. uh, with about 80% either working in white collar jobs, professionals such as medicine, law and accounting, or currently enrolled as students. So uh, there, there is certainly a wealth correlation. Um, but I should, I should just say out loud, my decision to not do these is <laughs> not financially motivated. I just don't. I have friends who have done. I have friends who are professional triathletes that are for real. Oh yeah, professional uh, triathletes. Uh huh. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I've I've uh, I roll with some pretty pretty cool people. But it is I, I'm you're also not a professional triathlete. Not in the slightest. No, no, sir. But um, I think to a lesser degree. So so you talk about sort of these more masochistic tendencies that when yep. your life becomes so comfortable when there's so much pleasure that there is actually something innate in us that desires discomfort. And uh, so the study kind of goes on to make that case. But I also think at, a, at maybe a more accessible level, um, there is something to be said about the ways that we rest yeah. and how that corresponds to our work. There was a, a quote by a guy named Abraham Heschel, who I, I've always really appreciated. And he says, those who work with their hands, Sabbath with their mind, and those who work with their mind, Sabbath with their hands. Mm, that's really so good. Like you and I... We're at computers a lot, yep. sitting at a desk, I imagine, or a coffee shop a lot. So for me, a lot of times when it's time to rest, what I want to do is like go for a run or go for a bike ride or yeah. like or paint something, or, you know. But for a lot of my friends who are like laborers, what they want to do is just like just step back, just read a book or watch a documentary. They want to like flex the the mind a little bit because they work with their hands all day long. And I think this story is sort of like a blown out. That's interesting. Uh, macro version of of that tendency when we're so padded and so comfortable, and everything in your life is about you know luxury and ease. There is something that I think we're hardwired to say like, yeah, I could use a little bit of a challenge though. Mm-hmm. I can use some discomfort, just the soreness of the muscle. Something in us d- desires that, and I think that's really interesting. It's funny they said they interviewed twenty six tough mutter participants and read online forums dedicated to obstacle course racing, what emerged was one resounding theme, the pursuit of pain. It was like this desire to, I think that's really interesting how you put it about that that quote about how we Sabbath. Uh, the, The author goes on to say this, the great irony, of course, is that one of the main reasons people pursue education, financial security, and solid employment is to create comfortable lives, but for some... This can begin to feel like too much of a good thing. Huh. Endurance sports provide a necessary outlet, offering concrete measures of a job well done and the chance to deal with physical suffering, albeit in a voluntary, defined, and immediately escapable hmm. environment. You know, and that we could take this philosophically if you wanted to. I think that there are a number of people in our Christian tradition, mind mm-hmm. you, so I'm not, I'm not quoting people that... Anybody needs to get nervous about, but there have even been people that have talked about one of the definitions, one of the ways of understanding hell is uh, getting everything we've ever wanted. Oh, wow. That, that part of what we think, we think about endless pleasure as the main goal. And uh, I think part of what maybe this article is slow, like subtly nodding toward is that we don't, that actually won't bring the kind of fulfillment or peace that we think that it will. In fact, there's all sorts of, you know, the sci-fi world has done a very good job of this, you know, both in in books and in movies and talking about these um, these hypothetical future situations where mm-hmm. where 
where pleasure is the highest aim and how it just dismantles culture as a whole because everybody was able to achieve constant, unending pleasure. Yep. And uh, what that actually led to societally was a really dark thing, not a really great thing. And I think mm. that's I think that's really interesting. So what does this do for our faith? What do we how do we bridge this uh, as as Christ followers? There are biblically a lot of things written about comfort and part of this article is about our natural pursuit of comfort that then for those who most attain it, it leaves you wanting that, that comfort in and of itself, as you just said, uh, is not a great uh, uh, end result. Like we think that's the end of everything. We talked about this all the time. We talk about retirement, right? Like just being able to do nothing and live comfortably is right. not the end goal. Right. Uh, so help, help me flesh out a little bit. Like in our faith, would you go so far as to say that we should be trying to introduce uh, uncomfortability and even pain, spiritual pain, if you will, or is that taking it a little bit too far? I think we've seen that in the history of the church. I think we've seen that with a lot of sort of like Gnostic dualistic thinking that the flesh is bad, the body's yeah. bad. And so you've even seen that with, um, with some particular trends over the last 500 years of uh, certain sects of Christianity that have like pursued being martyred, like mm. trying, like try to throw themselves into really dangerous situations, so, yeah. kind of. And there, there is certainly some good Christian writing about um, the history of some of that. But I think it is worth differentiating between comfort and joy. I think mm. um, because one of the things that I, I like to say is that you know Jesus shakes the comfortable, but he also comforts the shaken. I think about people that come to our church, sometimes their whole world is falling apart yes. and what they need actually is comfort. Mm-hmm. So I don't in any way want to even hint at articulating that God doesn't desire for them to be comforted yeah. in the midst of their pain. I think he absolutely does. Yep. And the flip of that is, hey, some of you have been far too comfortable for far too long. And the gospel of Jesus requires something of us. I mean, there's a lot mm. of dying to yourself, taking up your cross language, which I think for me, it's hard to reconcile with an endless pursuit of comfort as the highest aim. And uh, that isn't to say that comfort is in any way evil or that sure. you need to, you know, but it has certainly led some people throughout the history of our faith to sell everything. To say, okay, I'm moving to Calcutta. That's what I'm going to do now. And yeah. and I think God really honored that. Do I think that's a call for everybody? Maybe not. Mm. But I do think in the West, it's pretty easy for us to talk ourselves out of that kind of sacrifice because so few people do it. So it can kind of make it seem like, yeah, comfort might not be the best thing, but it's not the worst thing. Yeah, and so we yeah. live in this sort of squishy middle area that I think sometimes keeps us from like really full-throated surrender to uh, to what God really wants for us. I think us. that's one of the difficult things for us in, as American Christians is it becomes really easy to get the mindset that the end goal of life is comfort and more money and, you know, just to have everything we want. Uh, and that's that is a struggle. Like that is not... That, that is kind of against what the Gospels teach. And there are many uh, areas of the world where they would be like, what comfort is your cross to bear? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but I, it is something we need to fight against. And uh, it's something we need to fight against. And we need to uh, really take seriously in our churches. Like, I think we need to be preaching about uh, uh, the parables of Jesus that talk about comfort not being the end goal. Uh, and I think we get this. This is not a spiritual article at all. And yet it's saying, you know, people who have reached the ultimate comfort don't really want it. So they're trying to introduce pain into their life. I find that interesting. And I think it is a spiritual article. I think it absolutely is. (laughs) Touche. I guess. (laughs) That's all it took. I guess. 
That's good. You're, you're on point today, man. You keep pointing out my things, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you got me on that one. You got me. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you. If there was a, we're a team. We're a team here. <laughs> oh, now we're a team. <laughs> oh, my teammate Ian Sipkins here, along with Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Back to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. You can call us at 312-660-2594. You can find us uh, online at 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683. Put in CG and then your comment. Or you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. And I'm kind of older. I'm older than Ian, and so I don't get this whole (laughs) Facebook Live thing. Uh, but Ian just you're point. Not, uh, you're not that much I'm older like than 74. me. Uh, <laughs> you look great for 74, thank man. You, thank well you. done. It's a hooded sweatshirt. So Ian, uh, Ian just decided to put us on Facebook Live, and all of a sudden he put his phone down right in front of me. So if you go to uh, the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook, you're going to get to see me talking into a microphone. You so. look great, man. Thank you. He he's like, no, I don't want to be on there, so I'm going to turn it at him here soon. <laughs> I don't like uh, that at all. But it'll be good. But we're glad that you're joining us today. Uh, on this rainy Thursday, but we are glad. Uh, hopefully spring is coming. It's supposed to be at 70 degrees this weekend, so I'll believe it when I see it. It'll probably like three <laughs> inches of snow. <laughs> probably. And like you've said on the weekends, you're, it's no different for you. You're just you know trying to survive a That's kid. That's a good point. You sleeping more these days? <laughs> no, no. Well, I, we're holding out for four months is what our doctor said. They said, oh, four months should really round the corner, so we're halfway there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure, that'll work. I think they meant four years. Well, here, came across a really interesting article, but at the Washington Examiner, and it's something we've talked about before, but it's got a little twist to it. It's about our screens. So uh, the fact that all of our kids, especially our kids, being on their iPads, being on phones, and, and this is something that I'm guilty of. If you walk into my house, sometimes you'll see, like, the TV on and all of us on our phones, and all of a sudden I'm like, what are we doing? And then I'll... You know, be that dad who's like, all phones away. <laughs> is and that how you say it? how I say all it. Phones all away. phones away. <laughs> I might have found your problem in your tactic. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, but here's what this article tells us. It says that they, studies have found now that wealthy Silicon Valley engineers and executives. So the guys who, and the women who have, uh, who have in many ways, they're the ones who have put this stuff out there. They're the ones who've created the screens that we're playing on, the technology, the apps, all of this stuff. So it would, in my mind, you would think that it's their kids who are most locked in. You're right, right. Most locked in. But what they are finding is that Silicon Valley engineers and executives go to great lengths to limit their own children's screen time. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, Everything. And this is what they're finding kind of across the board. And they said, as the recent Times piece spells out, America's elites are exerting impressive effort to maximize human contact and interpersonal experiences in their own lives. And this is just a fascinating thing because it's one of these things where you decide, wow, the people who 
whose livelihood depends on me and my kids being on screens are telling right, their kids, don't right. get on these screens. That should really tell us something. Yeah, what do they know that we don't know, right? <laughs> yes, I think we're getting it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, though, I, I mean, not to sound like a, you know, like an old Amish person, it feels like <laughs> you know, the more Amish we find, like, hey, uh, like face-to-face contact and interaction and, like, these things actually matter we're not being curmudgeonly. We're not being sticks in the mud. Like, these things are important things for us to actually be mindful of. And, uh, you know, we read an article a couple of weeks ago now about, hey, uh, physical church as we know it is disappearing. It's right. all about the digital. And uh, I I always end up feeling so old <laughs> in disagreeing with that. Yes. Because I, I, yeah, for me, it's like, sure, even if all of the trends are going that way, we as the church, the big C church, not just our little, you know, corners of the world, but we, we need to be rallying against that and i don't know i was kind of convicted reading this article because how do we preach stuff like this does it make it into your sermons at all do we talk about how technology is used or is affecting us because i think that this is going to be a bit of a jump but i think when 40 50 years ago when people would make statements like we shouldn't talk about money in church we should talk about spiritual things well there's been some really good writing and um, some good preaching about why money is spiritual i think technology is spiritual too and for us to say, ah, I'm not going to, we don't talk about that here because this is just for church stuff, I think I think misses the boat yeah. uh, in so many ways in a way that it is not helpful for us going forward. I would say the only time I've talked about this is like preaching a sermon on Sabbath. So trying to talk about like what makes this, um, you know, what, what makes this dangerous. And uh, I, I get so convicted by these stories because I believe that these are like my kids are being affected by their screen time. And my kids aren't even on their screens a lot. Like, there are literally, maybe you found this too, there are literally kids, but I deal with, you know, kids more often because they're my kids' age. You can just tell that they have no ability to interact with adults. Yeah. That they've probably for their whole life have been handed screens and, um, yeah, it's just wild, man. I, I but, wish I had that excuse when I was a kid because I was just awkward. Like, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had technology to blame. Like, oh, don't mind Ian. He's, he, he's just always glued to a screen. But like, so you mentioned the difference in age of our kids. You know, my my... Eldest is only a year and a half, and if he has the phone for too long and I take it away from him, the reaction is actually like a teensy bit frightening. And we're pretty good about it, about screen time, about monitoring yeah. all that stuff, but like it's instant. His reaction is so quick. Isn't it weird? It's so startling. And he doesn't even understand. Like, I can't reason with him yet. Like, hey, man, we got to be mindful of, you know, I read this article in the uh, Washington Examiner, and you got <laughs> to be mindful of your screen time. He's like, you took Elmo from me. Exactly. And it and it can act, it's really um, convicting, actually, to see how quick and how visceral his response is. Oh, that's wild. What, what's convicting for me uh, is how quickly I go to, uh, how quickly I go uh, to the screen. Yeah. So it's it's one thing for me to rage against my kids having the TV on and a screen. I do that all the time. Oh, is this sort of like a do as I say, not as I do situation I, for you? It's not even that. It's just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't even say anything to them because it's like, you know, you know, this is the problem. And so um it, it is like they're they are in some ways just learning from us. And like I yeah, you told you the other day, even on vacation, my wife told me she was frustrated with me how much I was on my phone. Oh, she, you didn't tell me this. I was like, can you text that to me? <laughs> I'll read it if it's on my phone. No, but she said it frustrated me how much you were on your phone, and I wasn't on my phone for like work things. Mm. I was on my phone to like check Twitter, I'm just killing like, time. I was just bored, totally. or like not bored. I was sitting by a pool, like oh, I'll look through Twitter. Uh, you could be watching us 
on Facebook Live. And ironically, uh, Keith, our, our good friend and one of our producers, says doing this topic on Facebook Live is going to cause the Internet <laughs> to collapse on itself. It's at least a rip in the space-time continuum, for sure. And I also appreciate Kelly Brady, my old friend, saying the camera adds 10 pounds when I'm the only one on the camera. <laughs> That's harsh. That's harsh. So you're, you're thinking more in your future with your kids, but, like, uh, what do you think – how do you think you'll be as a dad? What, how will you – not be that dad who's like, you can't be on your phone, but at the same time, try to have some control over it. I know you're not there yet, but you're getting there quickly. I'm honestly already thinking about, uh, like, deleting these social networks from my phone. Like, can I be okay with only having access to Facebook and Twitter on my laptop, and then when I'm not at my laptop, I'm not on those things. I'm already... yeah. I, but I'm also like uh, we've, we've probably talked about this a couple of times. I'm yeah. a little bit of an idealist. So, like, before I was married... I was so diligent about Sabbath being like 24 hours, you cannot contact Ian, which is way harder when, when you now have a yeah. you know, wife and kids. And that's, that actually would be maybe not as honoring to them um, if I was just you know, out riding my bike for 15 hours. But yeah. I do think um, there, are, there are patterns and systems that I want to uh, establish. For me, it's way less about uh, rules and more about like rhythms. Like, hey, mm. at dinner, the rhythm of this house is all of the phones are in a different room. Yes. And we have a hard cutoff. And... You know, maybe those sound more like rules, but I want to, I want to be able to include my kids in the discussion. And, and my senses, and this is based on absolutely nothing. Uh, I wonder if by the time my kids are your kids' age, they're actually going to be less intrigued by it. Hopefully, like I wonder if like iPads and the you know all the stuff that's like so hip right now for them is going to feel a little passe. Like, yeah. oh, remember when? Remember when this used to be really addicting? We've kind of moved past that. Now I'm not sure what that past that is yeah. that's maybe, maybe that's worrisome holograms. too <laughs> that's maybe not any better but uh yeah i don't know i'd like to th- start thinking intentionally about my own life and some of our own rhythms so that it isn't just a do as i say not as i do situation but something as a family that we kind of celebrate together yeah and i think what i'm beginning to realize is like you like to talk about oh these kids are always on their phones i'm always on my phone like it's a i feel like it's become a problem in my own life that uh, that I've got to get my handle on because it is so distracting. Mm. And uh, it's just something I have to do. Speaking of distracting, watching myself on Facebook Live here <laughs> with people writing is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Those of you who are on Facebook Live, we're going to turn this phone on Ian for the next segment. So stay with us. But uh, coming up next, we are going to get back into a kind of this melding together of the evangelical Christian world and politics with a story out of Liberty University. So that's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. <laughs> Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm joined by Ian Simpkins. You can call us at area code 312-660-2594. Online, you can find old shows at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you find your podcast. Or you can text us, 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by a comment. And we're trying something new right now. Uh, at our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. It is so weird right now because we're also Facebook living it right now. <laughs> and so, <sighs> there, so there's all fun. this stuff going on right now, and it's really fun. So if you're out there and near your computer, hop on the Common Good Radio Show. Hop on the Common Good Radio Show uh, and come watch the show while we're doing it. It's like one of these. You ever see those pictures where it's like looking in a mirror of the person looking in the mirror of the It's like we're seeing it's like all an this. MC, like an MC Escher. Whoa. What? 
You know MC Escher, <laughs> the hand, sketching the hand. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, I know what that means. Eric just asked that we interview the thermostat. So <laughs> if this next topic takes a real dive, the thermostat's coming up next. Someone before, <laughs> when it was facing me, they said, hey, this is a great picture of the wall behind you because I moved over too far. So, hey, uh, boy. we're, we're kind of new at this. Our show is three months old in like, the next day or two. Happy, birth- happy anniversary. Almost exactly as old as my child. Yeah, that's true. That's how we will always do it. You my daughter was born like four months before we launched our church. So watching her grow is like watching our church grow. It's oh, like the same. It's really I want to cool. talk about that sometime. That's a whole segment. That's fascinating. We will. It's really weird because people are like, how old is your church? And I'm like, well, it, now it's like a fourth grader, like right here. Like, right, right, right. There she is. So, That's fascinating. Uh, it is. It's fun. Well, again, we're glad that you are joining us today. And one thing that we frequently talk about uh, is kind of our uncomfortability with the tie-in between kind of the big evangelical people, like kind of the faces of the evangelical world, whether we're comfortable with those people being the faces or not. Kind of <laughs> culturally, I should say culturally, okay. the faces of the evangelical That's world. Good. Whether it be, you know, major church pastors and the stuff you've seen at Willow with Bill Hybels or at Harvest with James McDonald or whatever, or it be in the political world. Uh, with Franklin Graham or Jerry Falwell Jr. or whatever. So yeah. we're not necessarily calling them the face of evangelicalism. But I think if you talk to most of you know popular culture in our country and said, who are the people who are the face of evangelicalism, they'd probably go with yeah. some of these people. Yeah. And so I recently read an article, and i got to be honest, it made me really angry. And there has since been a retraction that kind of says, well, there's some more nuance to this story. What I want to get at is why it made me really angry initially, okay. even if the story is a little more nuanced. And I it was appreciate this. that. Liberty University, so that's Jerry Falwell Jr., that's his, his school, he's president of the school. Liberty University got a $900,000 contract to sell jet fuel to the Pentagon. Okay. And so it's basically this, that Liberty has uh, some things under its umbrella um, liquid propellants and fuels, petroleum base. Uh, and so the Department of Defense does a contract with Freedom Aviation, which is a company owned by the school, uh, for $900,000. And here was my initial thought. Uh, the fact that the school's president, Jerry Falwell Jr., has been such an ardent supporter of President Trump, uh, he even told the Washington Post on January 1 that he, quote, can't imagine Trump doing anything that's not good for the country. Trump has spoken there. He's so linked in with him yeah. that when I first read this, this is what it meant to me, right? I got right. really mad, right. really mad. Well, the next day, an update came out, and it was a response from Liberty that said this, that this contract has been in place for over 20 years, and that the term of the contract signed in 2017 <laughs> began in 2016 and was re- merely a renewal of the pre-existing contract. He also said that the largest scale of fuel from the company to the DOD occurred under the Obama administration. Uh, so basically saying, hey, your anger is not warranted. This wasn't because of his tie-in in Trump. And so I went, oh, okay. That's kind of like, I, I kind of totally just jumped to conclusions. But the fact that I jumped to conclusions mm. made, me, made me also like uncomfortable. Like, they are, re- he is really tied to the president, right? That part doesn't change, right? That part That's doesn't true. change. And so I think there's this perception. And it, again, got in me the anger of like the, the kind of evangelical world's tie uh, to uh, to politics, yeah, and uh, and also the the progressive uh, Christian world's tied to the other side of politics. This sure. is a both and, and so I want to flesh that out a little bit. Hey, I wanted to confess my uh, my just running at this story, kind of like the Covington Catholic thing. Or yeah, others, exactly, exactly. That we need to have a take and just kind of run at it. Um, but then also saying that I think that that my anger came from some past history here. Yeah, right. And I think too the church 
This is the, and we'll talk about this a little bit coming up next about denominations and our need for denominations. But when you look at the history of the church, um, it is not it is not black or white uh, with regards to how we have or haven't interacted with government and politics. Yeah. And just as a, as an aside, it does drive me a little crazy when people say things like Jesus wasn't political. Yeah. I, like, I think Jesus was absolutely political. Nice. He wasn't partisan. That that I think is a, an important distinction. But it, it does feel. It's sometimes, I don't know, it feels like a, a little bit of a position of privilege to say, I don't get involved in politics. Like, well, a lot of times the people at the bottom of the rung, mm. at the very bottom of the ladder, that are they're the ones who are being exploited by systems of injustice. For, you know, for us as like middle class, white, straight American men, it is sometimes a position of privilege to say, oh, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to weigh in. I'm not yeah. going to, I'm just a pastor. I'm not interested in political stuff. Like, well, sometimes po- politics are the very engine or the vehicle by which we uh, we right some of these wrongs. And so that's tough for me. The other side of that, though, and I think this is kind of what you're getting at, is sometimes like a, a blatant endorsement for a particular uh, cabinet or a particular position, particularly from the pulpit. Mm. And may, maybe I'm an idealist here, too. The pulpit, to me, is something different. If you want to, this is maybe not totally accurate, but f- your personal Facebook page or if you write a publication or you're part of a network or whatever, that's to me, that's different than the than the, the the gathered people, the ecclesia of a Sunday morning mm. or Sunday evening or Monday evening worship service, and I, I don't know if that's even as I'm saying it out loud. I don't know why I feel so strongly about that, but it does sometimes feel like, man, when we when we try to link uh, flag and Bible, um, that that never seems to really go well for yeah. us. I guess sometimes what bothers me about the link to to politics and especially to particular politicians from uh, certain people is it feels like a grab for power. Uh, it feels like a grab for power, and, and things never go well uh, in the Christian world when when there is a there is a desire for more power, you know, because we follow a Savior who who gave up his power. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I think that the watching world around us begins to look and be like, that feels like a power grab. And I think that's why this made me so angry, because originally, like, oh, now I see why you're so linked. You're getting this contract, and I'm getting all mad. I'm like, we're talking about this on the radio, and then it's like, oh wait, here's the update. Okay, can I push back on that a little bit though? Because we have said in other segments about, yeah, we've seen people with great wealth do great things in the world, and we say, oh yeah, maybe God has just equipped you to be great at making money and to be generous with the money that you make, mm-hmm. could the same apply to power? Is is the pursuit of power at any level uh, a sign of a misstep, a sign of sin in someone's life? Or, or can a Christian's pursuit of power be used to actually leverage for good things in the world? Absolutely. I think you, you hit it on there. Like, you know, we want to see Christians in office. We want to see Christians running for office or uh, gaining notoriety or power. But but what did Jesus had power, right? Jesus had an amazing amount of power. What did he do with his power? He yeah. used it to elevate the least of these and to uh, to serve others, ultimately at the point of dying. I think that's often what we don't see of just with powerful people in general, Christians or non-Christians. We don't see them using that power to reach down and pull other people up. We ought you know, painting with a broad brush here, we don't often see people with a lot of money reaching down to pull others up. We don't see people with a lot of power and influence. Often it happens. I'm not, again, I'm painting with a broad brush here, right. but often power is not attained so that I can bring others even above me, right? That's what Jesus did. Uh, but instead it's it's usually used to elevate yourself or, or to further yourself. Well, and is there a need for a conversation about original intent and end result? Because I think there is something to be said about I'm going to pursue this with right motive, 
And then once you get into it, you know, once you maybe to use your language, like once you get a taste of it, Mm -hmm. like your conviction, your fervor for the original motive starts to dwindle a little bit and you get a little we were talking about this last segment this well now i'm kind of comfortable in this i would i i began as a real radical effort now feels a little more easier for me to like uh you know give lip service maybe to a thing that initially was the engine i think that's that's the bummer to me and it's why i think when when the rich when the rich young man is uh is confronting jesus and he says what do i have to do and jesus says well, you got to get rid of it. You got to follow all these rules. Okay. Keep all the commandments. He goes, great. I've done that. And then he asks a really interesting question. What else? Mm. As if to say, I've played all the rules. There's still something inside of me that's not right. Yeah. Why else would he ask what else? And so yeah. then he makes the statement, well, you need, you need to get rid of everything. Yeah. And it says simply that he he went away sad. Yep. As if to say, nah, I'm I'm willing to do just about anything, but this... My influence, my power, my wealth, um, that that's just one notch above following Jesus and that that he wasn't willing to let go of yeah, it, I think, think, man. I think ultimately power uh, and money and everything is just intoxicating. I think it's intoxicating. Can it be used for good? Obviously and absolutely. Yeah. And we need to champion that and tell those stories and encourage people to do that. Right. But I think the Bible makes it clear that that money and power are are much much more often a vice than they are a virtue. They're much more often uh, a struggle than that is an opportunity. That's right. So yeah, we want to cheer the people using that opportunity. That's right. To uh, to further other people, I just I just fear that that is not often the case. Well, coming up next, uh, besides seeing Ian on Facebook Live, what you're going <laughs> to see, we're going to talk about Willow Creek and does the crash of Willow Creek Creek show why denominations still matter? Uh, within the church. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next on The Common Good, we're going to ask this question. Did Willow Creek's crash show us that denominations still matter? We're going to talk about the importance of denominations and what we're learning about the church. But before that, you have the chance to say, I'm bored this summer. Before you have that chance, enter to win a getaway to Colorado Springs from Focus on the Family. Enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. The grand prize winner will enjoy a three-night trip to Colorado and enjoy a special behind-the-scenes experience with the team at Adventures in Odyssey. You'll get a bonus free gift just for entering, so hurry over to 1160hope.com slash contest now. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, You can give us a call at 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. You can find old shows online at 1160hope.com, or you can podcast us wherever it is that you get your podcast. You can text us, 68683, 68683. Put CG in the comment and then have whatever you've got for us you can share with us. Uh, and you're Facebook. so trusting that freaks me out anything 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 yeah. all right just, and it, it's, we got like 20 minutes left in the show we're tired we're ready to go just go for it <laughs> all right i'm fine with it or facebook at facebook you could do the common good radio show that's the common good radio show and ian introduced something here facebook live and we can see ourselves and people are talking to us this is good times man yeah, it's really fun it's these, also mildly these, terrifying all these kids who do facebook live oh, look these at these days. kids <laughs> that's with the googles and the facebook lives <laughs> what did i say uh, to the guy from the afters yesterday. Oh, you're oh, in a you're in a rock band. 
<laughs> That's really good. Oh, you're in a rock band. I, I don't think your octave was that bad. I think it was when I said it. Oh, I'm so proud to talk to a guy in a rock band. <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to it. Uh, so we talked before Tish Harrison Warren. She wrote for Religion News. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren would call herself an Anglican evangelical, I believe. Yep, an evangelical Anglican. Can you be an evangelical Anglican? Oh, our program director, Marcus, is jumping up right now. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the title of the article is this. Willow Creek's crash shows why denominations still matter. So hmm. most people know the story, but Willow Creek, if you don't, the story... Uh, Bill Heibel started Willow Creek years ago, and it became the model of a non-denominational seeker-sensitive, and it exploded. It, there have been books written about Willow Creek and it, its growth. He literally went door-to-door selling things and then asking people, what right. would you look for in a church? Right. And that's how he created his church. And so Willow has done uh, has been ahead of the curve in everything uh, through the last couple decades. Uh, but this past summer, or a little bit before the summer, just it all kind of came crashing down, at least for Bill Hybels. Uh, just kind of, it came to be find out, really. And the stories were really sad that over the last 20 years, if you will, he was more or less living a secret life, that nobody knew what was going on. Fast forward now six months, and, w- and in the same era, we've got kind of the implosion of Harvest Bible Chapel and right. James McDonald. And not for the same types of sins, but for more issues of pride and anger and some money issues and all this stuff. This has all come crashing down. And so it's led to these types of articles that say, uh, is the non-denominational church uh, still effective? Or to put it the way she does, does this just show why why denominations matter? Hmm. This becomes an interesting discussion because you and I both pastor non-denominational churches. That's right. And so uh, as I kind of fill the bucket there and tell the story, what what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) I feel like you've done this to me all day. I like, have. here's the nuts and bolts, <laughs> and go react. Talk about it. Oh, man. So we both grew up in Alliance churches. We did Christian um, Missionary if Alliance. If you're not yes. aware, yeah, Christian Missionary Alliance, the CMA. Yes. Um, which I am really grateful for a number of reasons. I feel like. Uh, not the least of which was that church, that denomination helped give me a global perspective Absolutely. of the big seat. Like, really, really grateful for that. I'm not saying non-denominational churches can't do that. I think many of them do. Um, but I also remember, as I got older, like, learning of some of the uh, denominational frustrations and some of the ways that they do, you know, pastoral yes. assignment and installment and some of those things were sort of handed down from on high. And there was the local expression had no say. Yes. and. uh now, having been um, in a lot of different seats on the bus in church ministry world, I know that just because someone's upset with the way that it's doing doesn't mean it's the wrong way to yes. do it. So, like, I'm a I'm a real mixed bag when it comes to denominations because I've seen some real strength in them. Yeah. Uh, I've also seen them, I think, really miss the mark. And you know, like a community, we have the New Thing Network, yeah, uh, and, which is and, kind of like a denomination sort in and of itself, right? Right. And my buddy Patrick O'Connell is at the helm of that, and there are few people on the planet that I think get church planting in the mission and network like Patrick. Like I think he is exceptionally qualified for the job. Sometimes I feel like because we talk a lot about language on the show too. Sometimes I think we try to rebrand things and we avoid. You mm. know, you remember like in the '90s when it was like a dirty word to use things like liturgy, yes. or Eucharist, where we're seeing I think a trend now, particularly among millennials and Gen Z. Like, no, we want we want this connection to the yeah. ancient and the traditional, yeah. and so there's a swing happening regardless. I don't know that I would put denominations in the same category though as like our linguistic approaches. I think. I think that there's a lot of value to them, but I think it also needs a little bit of an overhaul, to be honest. I think so, too. And I think the, the, the denominational thing, I, I, I guess I would push back because 
that the large some there's been some large non-denominational churches that have uh, have had a lot of problems. There's also been some large denominations having lots of problems. Uh, we saw the article you and I talked about Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, totally. Uh, need we point out stuff in the Catholic Church? Right, like all these right. stuff. Both, like, both sides for sure. I think this is less an issue of denomination for me and more an issue of accountability. Okay. And that it is easier to live a life as a pastor uh, to have your own little kingdom with no accountability within a non-denominational church. Yeah. And I think that's what got Bill Hybels, amongst other things. I think that's what got James McDonald. They were the they were the uh, emperors of their kingdom, if you will. Uh, and from everything I've read, there was very little accountability. There was a lot of stuff hidden and hiding. And that's what caused the implosion. I think as pastors, as churches, the issue is accountability. And maybe when denominations are done well, that accountability structure is there. Yeah. Whereas a church like yours or a church like mine, you kind of have to create that accountability structure. Uh, and sometimes that's asking a lot where you go, well, I'm going to choose not to be accountable. And then you're, I would say you're in trouble. But don't you find, though, that it's sometimes way easier to start something new than to revamp something old? Yes. I'm just sort of talking out of both sides of my mouth right now just to just to, you know. Just to stir the pot a little bit, as I never do. But <laughs> like I think, like I think the, the the paragraph of this whole article says uh, for me, institutional failure, even massive failure, as we see in the current Roman Catholic atrocities, does not invalidate the need for traditions or ecclesial accountability any more than a plane crashes render void the need for the Federal Aviation Administration. So, uh, I, I mean, I think that's so well said, and I know that I have an inclination probably to a fault for the new yeah. when sometimes the, the real work is like, no, stay, dig deep, and let's let's right this ship. But yeah. I also think of, like my Lutheran brothers and sisters, under the umbrella of Luther- Lutheranism are like offshoots that could not be more different from each other. That's true. But there's still this, this banner, quote-unquote, unifying attribute. Yeah. But then I look at the actual like form and function, I think, oh, there's very little that's similar <laughs> to, yeah. to these expressions. So at what point... Does the umbrella become like a moot point? And I don't, I don't really know the point. answer to that. That's a good point. Like, uh, like it's funny as a pastor. Sometimes I'm jealous of some of my pastor friends who can go to like denominational gatherings for like they all like the region all gets together or national gatherings. I was like, that'd be kind of nice to have that. Oh, yeah. But totally. then I sit with some pastor friends and they are just they spend more time just belly aching about their denomination. So I d- my whole point is I don't think there's anything magical about the denomination. But I think as pastors, as churches, and as individual followers of Jesus, the issue at play here is accountability. Yeah. And who are you accountable to? Because it is true. You or I could start a church tomorrow, call it non-denominational, and not be accountable to anybody. Totally. And kind of use that power. And, and I do, quite frankly, I think that's what happened in some of these cases. Uh, but it does also happen in some of these denominations, just higher up the food chain a little bit. Uh, and, and so I do think it goes back to accountability and it goes back to power. And anytime lack of accountability and the increase of power is at play, bad things happen within churches and within life. And ultimately, I think maybe even deeper than accountability, if I could be so bold, is people. like is repentance mm-hmm. is like de- like for me, the issue at the end of the day, we talk a lot about the root and fruit stuff. I think yep. the fruit is what we're seeing in these absolutely like heartbreaking stories the, the the fruit conversation is, oh, is it institutional or anti-institutionalism? I think, man, the root stuff is, God, we as, we as the capital C Church need to grieve and lament these atrocities, need to repent, need to confess with our mouths, and begin to seek healing in whatever expression or vein or uh, local body we find ourselves in. And yeah. I think that's a call for all of us, regardless of 
whether or not you have a, an affiliate board, whether you call them elders or shepherds yep. or whatever. You know, like to me, that stuff is is open uh, to expression in various contexts. And I think she makes a valid point that another thing, like you said, denominations do is they keep us rooted a little bit in the past, which non-denominational new churches and everything can be new, new, new. And there, there's value in that. Like you said, you can be nimble, you can try new things, but there's also a loss of, you know, Christianity didn't start 20 years ago. Exactly. And exactly. So there is something about being rooted in a history that, again, as non-denominational churches that are new, you can do that, but you've got to really search it out. That's well said, And you've man. got to really try to do it. Well, well said. We're excited to be together. Uh, and like we said, we're trying this new thing with Facebook Live today. It's kind of wild. I'm like, looking at myself right now. It's all kind of crazy. You look great. You look great on camera. Uh, if you're out there and you you can get on Facebook right now, I'd encourage you to get on the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook because we are about to do our uh, our crazy stuff we found on the Internet. This is about to get out of control. I'm going to turn the camera towards, towards oh, Ian, and man. I'm just going to enjoy this. So that's what's coming on up next on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, welcome back to The Common Good. And the way we always like to end the show is just with craziness on the internet. we got to start with a disclaimer, though, right? Because, yeah, every now and then you guys met Keith on Facebook Live if you're on. But Keith gives us the sight unseen. So when you hear them, Ian and I are reading them for the first time. And uh, we've decided to live on the edge that way. So... Uh, here we go. I'm going to go first today. That's really bold of you. I'm going to go first. Here we go. Out of Arkansas, men take turns wearing bulletproof vests to shoot each other. <laughs> to, that to sounds our- like Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> Charles Eugene Ferris, age 50, was on his back deck drinking, of course, drinking with his neighbor, Christopher Hicks, 36. When the incident happened, Ferris was wearing a bulletproof vest, because why not, and told Hicks to shoot him with a vest on. Hicks shot Ferris in the chest one time with a 22 caliber the bullet hit him in the top left corner of the chest, and the vest stopped the bullet. Still hurt, though, and left him with a red mark. Ferris then took the vest and put it on. Ferris was angry about getting shot and how much it hurt, so he unloaded the clip. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> this turns this turns dark. He unloaded the clip. Dark. This is crazy. Oh, my word. You were just dumber than a bag of hammers. <laughs> we also don't know the sound clips that are coming either. We, we know so little about anything that's happening right now. Okay, sight unseen. Wisconsin. Woman calls police after husband brings home wrong type of chicken, cops say. <laughs> the first sentence is my favorite. Talk about a food fight. There we go. Mwah, mwah. A Wisconsin woman called police on Sunday after she got into an argument with her husband when he brought home the, quote, wrong type of chicken, authorities say. Cops received a call just after 7.30 p.m. from a woman, 40, who reported a verbal argument with her 37-year-old husband, Brown. Uh, Brown Deer Police wrote in a release titled, Noteworthy Calls from the Weekend. <laughs> What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? <laughs> oh, I don't think face- Facebook Live can hear these clips either, can they? Nope, nope. They, they're, they're listening and doing everything. It's just us giggling, right? Florida. Going back to Florida. Obviously. Entire church stolen <laughs> when trailer is towed away, Pastor says. Members of the Square Root Church. I like the name of that church. The Square Root Church. Very mathematical. <laughs> Coming In- from four corners. That nah, makes sense. Yeah. There we go. Are they praying for help? To find a trailer that was stolen with the entire contents of their church. On Facebook, the pastor posted surveillance video of the theft, which happened at 9.40 p.m. Friday in the parking lot. The video shows someone driving up in a light-colored four-door pickup, then walking around the trailer, cutting off the locks, hooking the trailer to the pickup before driving away. Rios thinks the pastor thinks the thief was unaware that he took the entire church. (laughs) 
Could it be Sting? <laughs> I do have to say, though, so my good buddies, John Peacock and Tommy Bowman of Mission Church, the they had their trailer stolen. And we got we should get them on the show sometime because their story of the way the church like rallied around them. I, and, I even remember it. Oh my gosh, we that just reminded me. We got to have them on sometime. John Peacock, Tommy Bowman, Mission Church. We got to get you on sometime. All right, Kansas. The bat, the bat signal has been put out. <laughs> exactly. A Kansas woman bought two hundred and four pairs of shoes at Payless. She's donating all of them to flood Aww, victims. That's nice. This is so much better than the last one. A Kansas woman donated two hundred and four pairs of shoes to Nebraska flood victims after clearing out a closing Payless shoe source store. Addie Tritt bought all the remaining shoes at a Hayes store for $100, the Hayes Post reported, after negotiating with the business when it dropped prices to $1 per pair. The retail value would have been more than $6,000, the Post reported, but liquidation sales are underway at the footwear chain U.S. stores, which are all set to close by late May. Wow. That's nice. A genuine all-American hero. (laughs) It's true. All right. (laughs) Before I read the last one, if you're on Facebook Live and would like to, if you missed earlier in the show, I described the new thing that's coming out that from Heinz called Cranch, Ketchup and Ranch. You I want to so know, would into you this. like it? No. I would. It's not a matter of you, whether you'd like it or not. It's Cranch. It's a ridiculous project and it should be called Retchup. I'm just, that's, <laughs> that's, that's my position. Retchup is so that, much better than Cranch. That is now your hill to die on. Last <laughs> that's right, one. right. Last one, Pennsylvania. Burglary suspect busted when stove falls off truck. Oh, boy. Police in Pennsylvania said they were able to identify and arrest a burglary suspect when a stolen stove fell from the back of his pickup truck. Uh, The police said officers responded to the Tuscan Hills housing plan on a report of a suspicious pickup truck that matched the description of a truck believed to be connected to thefts in the area. A local resident was able to capture the truck's license plate on camera. Police said officers on their way to the scene received a report of a stove falling from the back of a pickup (laughs) truck on Route 30. Investigators said the suspect, Gary Crawley, attempted to get the stove back into the truck bed but was unsuccessful and ended up fleeing the scene. Police pulled him over moments later and he told them he had been retrieving the stove and a microwave for a man he works for. Investigators determined that the appliances had been stolen from an unfinished home. Officers said they're looking into whether the incident was connected to other thefts in the area. Police said it's the second time a stove had been stolen from the same house. According to the gas chromatograph, the secret ingredient is... Love! Who's been screwing with this thing? (laughs) Yeah, that's... uh, Would it be fair to say that's that's a hot story? That's a hot take. This is a hot take would have been funnier. That's a hot take. The story's really heating up. Just put that one in the oven and, and let it bake for a little while. I don't Wait. think that's a saying. That I don't we're think, trying. I think that means you're pregnant. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> hey, man, it's been a really good day. It's been a good Thursday. I feel like it's dark and, and rainy out, but we gave some people good stuff to laugh about. Again, uh, you can call us. You can, you, can, uh, you can text us at 68683. We still read those even when. Uh, the show is not on. But, man, this Facebook Live thing has been something. Like my, <laughs> my cousin from Colorado just joined. This is kind of weird. That's we awesome. got to do this again. I've, count me in. Sometime maybe we'll drive in together and we'll, like, I don't know. <laughs> now I'm all into Facebook Live. I'm really proud of you, man. It's well been done. really fun having you all with us today, whether you've listened on the radio or watched on Facebook Live. Uh, for Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.